Previously on Deep Cuts. Our intrepid hosts, former child actors and stars of the short-lived Disney Channel show Bacon and Legs, Andrew and Dave are boy detectives by day, podcasters by whenever they have the time. Over the course of the last year, Andrew and Dave have been pursued by a mysterious figure named Charles Wexler Weller. After threatening to kill Andrew, attempting to get both of them sucked into a portal to hell, and just all around being a dick, things have been quiet on the Wexler Weller front. We've recently learned that Andrew and Dave's roommate, Hillsmer, is a space demon from a distant planet in space hell. He's been living with them in hiding, seeking to avoid scrutiny from authoritarian forces on his home world. In his free time, Hillsmer's been hosting a pirate radio station called Hillsmer's Pirate Radio Station. However, for those listeners who have truly been paying close attention and not just switching to another podcast when the calls to action for smashing of subscribe buttons and leaving of reviews happen, they'll know that Charles Wexler Weller himself has retrieved the body of Quam, the forearm, four-eyed, four-eye-patched bounty hunter who attacked Dave, Andrew, and Hillsborough. Wexler Weller has now resurrected this fearsome foe of our heroic dyad and is building an army to put an end to the mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency once and for all. There's a cloud on the horizon, dear listener. Andrew and Dave have no idea of what's headed their way. A satanic army led by Charles Wexler Weller. Hello? Who are you and why are you wearing beige? Oh, hey, uh... Is there an adult here? Yes! I'm a fucking adult, you 5'8 intestine turned inside out. What do you want? Oh, I'm the, uh... Uh... Are you sure you're an adult? You seem like maybe you're the imaginary friend of a toddler or something. Are you the mailman? What happened to Andrew WK? Oh, he has to be taken off this route. Can you just sign for this package? Give it here. Signing, signing, signing. Uh, all right, so, uh, listen, uh, do you, uh, maybe want to listen to my album about partying? What? Do you want to listen to an album I recorded about partying? Like how Andrew WK makes music about partying? What? No, it has nothing to do with that. It was a complete coincidence that Andrew WK happened to start making music about partying around the same time I did in the late 90s. So you're telling me that it's just a huge coincidence that you took over the mail route of Andrew WK and also happened to be a party-themed musician? And you're not weirdly stalking his life single white female style and trying to become him? Yes. Okay. So... Do you want to hear? Get out of here, you lanky son of a bitch, and buy some pants next time. Act your age. Come on, man. Well, I guess this saves me a second trip. What? What are you talking about? Did my new order of berries and mush come? For some reason, I'm having a hard time remembering. Goodbye forever, you Fozzie the Bear if he was an anthropomorphized Chipotle late afternoon shit-looking motherfucker. That was the meanest mailman I've ever met. I just want more berries and mush, man. Huh. What even is this package I just signed for? It says, Do the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency care of Andrew and Dave? Hmm. I should definitely open it. Weird. It's a record? Just like a shitty novelty CD? Bacon and Legs present the Dead Boy Detectives sing some tunes. The fuck is this shit? Oh, weird. It's a tie-in record for the cancelled TV show that Andrew and Dave were child actors on. It seems kind of collectible. I wonder if it's worth anything. Oh, holy shit. This sold on eBay for like a cool 500. 
goddamn, maybe I should put this online. I bet there's a cult following for that stupid show that would eat this shit up. You know, this is actually a perfect way to drum up some hype for my new peer-to-peer data sharing site I'm developing called Hillsmer's Pirate Music Site. Just gonna put the record on this data ripping device I conveniently have hooked up to my computer here. Do-do-do-do-do. This file is huge. This is gonna take forever to start uploading. Oh, hey Hillsmer, uh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just uploading this thing to my new internet pirate site. You mean Hillsmer's Pirate Radio Station? Sort of. It's an offshoot of that called Hillsmer's Pirate Music Site. It's a place where you can connect directly with other people and share music from your hard drive. I'm hoping that in a few months, basically the entire world's catalog of music will be available on my site for free. You mean like Napster? Like what? Napster. It's the thing that came out in the late 90s. That's literally what you're describing. Napster. Fake news. I invented this. It's an idea nobody has ever thought of before, and I'm going to be rich because of it. First of all, Hillsmer, how does that plan even make sense? How do you expect to become rich from a site that literally steals things and gives them away for free? And also, you better be careful because whenever Napster came out, it basically got into a bunch of legal trouble, was this huge cultural punchline, and the disgraced founders had to shut down the company. Actually, uh, we should do an episode about Napster. You're right. Why didn't we think of this before? That'll be the perfect Deep Cut Season 1 end-of-year finale episode. Huh. Well, how much longer do you think you're going to be, Hillsmer? We're, we're planning on recording our season finale episode of Deep Cuts tonight, so we kind of need to record soon. You mean the thing you literally just decided on? Yeah, we, uh, we write fast. Well, I don't know. It kind of looks like this thing might take a little while. This file is taking forever. What's the file? It's some weird, obscure CD some fans sent you guys. A fan sent us a package? Oh, no. That's never good. Last time, it was like some weird headshot of me when I was a kid with, like, lipstick kisses all over it and stuff. Oh, so you found my Squamp Jump present for you early. That was from you? Oh, weird. Yeah, look, here's the packaging. To the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency care of Andrew and Dave? Huh. Wait, this isn't from a fan? It's from... Charles Wexler Weller! So... What does that mean? He's the, like, secretive dude who's been fucking with us all year. In fact, I don't really even know why or who he is or... I don't know, he's just so secretive. Very secretive. That's what makes him such an impressive adversary in Big Bad, because we don't actually know anything about him. I mean, he just sent you guys a CD. A CD? No. It can't be. It can't be! Oh god, I... I feel it again! Look, here! Look at this monitor! See, this is the cover art to the record! Let me play you some of it! It's your guys' CD! You should know what I'm talking about! Hey everyone! We're the Dead Boy Detectives! Thanks so much everyone for coming out to our performance tonight! We're gonna start off with a classic! See? That's the song from your... Wait! What's wrong with you guys? Hey, Andrew and Dave, we're the Dead Boy Detectives, and we're here to devour your souls and send them to the depths of space hell. What the hell? The CD has space hell magic in it. Bacon and legs. Miami Nights. Are you two okay? Bacon and legs. Miami What am I gonna do? You both look so pale. I mean, you always look so pale, but... But are you okay? What's happening? Something about the space hell magic in this record is 
unleash some kind of trauma that's reverted you to a lizard brain childhood state. I really can't but stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go but away. Baby, it's cold outside. What the hell? Why are you guys singing that weird, creepy song from the Bacon and Legs holiday special? And where are those sleigh bells coming from? Oh man, this is just making me hungry for berries and mush. Where's that acoustic guitar coming from? What is going on? You can never forget them Jerry's on your berries and mush. Don't you ever forget them Jerry's on your berries and mush. And if you ever forget them Jerry's, the mush will taste really ordinary. The flavor experience will be contrary on your berries and mush. This is so weird. Oh, think, Hillsmer, think. Think, you red idiot. How can I get you two to calm down and reaffirm your natural selves that aren't weird, shambling, pale-faced, singing zombie versions of yourselves? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Last week, Dave was just telling Andrew how much he likes doing this stupid podcast because it emotionally centers him or whatever. Maybe if we just record an episode of the podcast, they'll come back to their normal selves. The math checks out. Wait. What is the script on the table? The Napster episode? How the hell did they write this while they were standing here talking to me? Bacon... Fine. Maybe if we record this episode, it'll break the dark space hell magic and turn them back to normal. When I point at you, read the script, Davy boy. Read the script, Davy boy. Read the script, Davy boy! Oh, sh fuck. He can't do it. He's just humming incoherently to himself. Oh, think, Hillsmer, think! Okay, fine, fine, I'll do it. I'll host the podcast. I'm Hillsmer. I'm Bacon and Legs. And I'm... Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person your next forced social function. Wow, I guess I'm listening to you guys talking through the walls a lot more than I thought I did. Hmm. Well, today's topic is... Napster. A.K.A. those motherfuckers that stole my idea. What is Napster? Oh, who gives a shit? They like helped people steal music, shit got messy, and then they changed the music industry forever or whatever. Let's just get this shit started already because apparently Andrew and Dave can only sing shit today. So that's how my week's going. doing this. In the 1950s, the music industry revolved around hit singles. Artists would sell 45s, and if a single did well, it didn't actually make the artist any money. They got their money from the fact that a venue would pay them more with every hit single they had. The 1960s ushered in the album, and from that moment on, the record industry subsisted of teasing an album with a few singles on the radio. 
which caused throngs of people to rush to the store and buy the entire album. Record labels served as a middleman and distribution arm to facilitate this process. They paid for the albums, they got the records played on the radio and sold in stores, and they also took a hefty chunk of the revenue. And with every new advance in technology, the record industry had the opportunity to make a ton more money. Every time a new format was released, labels could resell their entire catalog to consumers again. Even if you had the album on vinyl, you'd need it on 8-track, and then you'd need it on cassette, and then you'd need it on CD. Technology served the industry. Every advancement and innovation meant more money for the corporate fat cats. I love eating fat cats. Wait, no, that's ALF. I'm not- I do not eat cats. I don't, I don't want to get sued by the guy who created ALF. This led up to the 80s and 90s, which showed one of the biggest booms in sales in the music industry. Tons of records and CDs were selling. The industry was also getting majorly corporatized. Independent labels were getting bought up by giant corporate behemoths. And the entire industry was narrowing down to just a handful of corporate giants. They were raking in cash hand over fist, and the consumers were happy to consume music in this way. Gonna sing good night. No, it's gonna be alright. Andrew, what the fuck are you saying right now? Are you okay? My jean jeans pulled on tight. What black-rimmed glasses and sanity are you spouting right now, Andrew? Where's that distant ethereal sound and that spacey synthesizer emanating from? Wait, I think it's working. Whatever horrible psychic trance the boys are in, it's like you've been granted the power to manifest music into life and it's the only way you can communicate. Sounds like a convenient setup for a musical episode. Bet you didn't expect that, bitches.
wow. That was like really good. Where did the instrument sounds come from? That was like some straight up magical realism bullshit. Bacon and legs. Don't worry, Davey. We're going to get through this. And then the MP3 came out in the mid-90s. Music could be distributed on the computer, and as many copies could be generated as you wanted with no loss in quality or storefront overhead. Not only was it creating a cheaper experience, but it also took control away from the record labels to own every part of the process, from production to distribution of the music. The days of technology serving the industry were over. It was now the harbinger of its doom. Much like... I was originally the harbinger of Earth's doom. But then... I just got lazy and decided, fuck it. And then Napster happened. Sean Fanning was born on November 22nd, 1980, in Brockton, Massachusetts, in an unstable family, ending up in foster care a few times. Both he and his brother say their parents, quote unquote, did the best they could, but they also don't seem to look back too fondly on their childhood. Sean in particular felt very intellectually isolated from his family and friends. He had nobody to confide in that he felt was on his same wavelength, so he retreated into things like music, sports, and eventually computers. Fanning's uncle, John Fanning, gave him his first computer at a young age. He became obsessed with it. He learned to program, became inundated in hacker culture, and was in several hacking-related BBSs and IRC chat groups. He made many friends through these groups and finally felt like he belonged. He says he was in love with the idea that, on the internet in these groups, your social standing has nothing to do with your level of charisma, how you looked, your body language, or anything physical. It was all based on the merit of what you had to say. He says it was intoxicating. Eventually, he worked summers at his uncle's internet company called Chess.net. After graduating from Harwick High School in 1998, Sean enrolled in Boston's Northeastern University. His dorm roommate complained about how hard it was to download music, which inspired Fanning to want to create some kind of way to make it easier for everyone. He was enamored with the idea of helping the world do something using his skills. He felt like if he could use his talent to improve the lives of others, it'd make up for all the social isolation and lack of connecting with the world that he experienced throughout his childhood. He wanted to make people like him by sheer force of hard work and dedication where his charisma and social skills failed him. So he started working on a tool, something that could use a central computer server to facilitate thousands of people connecting and sharing the contents of each other's hard drives with each other. And as more people joined the system, the amount of music options would exponentially grow until you'd essentially have access to all the music in the world in one simple search-based program. God, I can't believe this motherfucker. He's just stealing from me in the past. But to Fanning, it wasn't just sharing music. He felt like music was powerful. It represented the emotions of the people who listened to it. And there was something very powerful about the idea of people opening up their hard drives to one another and sharing the music they listened to while experiencing those emotions. He was building a tool to share emotions over the internet. Every weekend, he would leave his school campus and work tirelessly at his uncle's office on the code for his new tool. Every time he had to return to school, it got harder and harder until one day he decided to just not go back. In January of 1999, he dropped out of school, not even returning to say goodbye to his roommate or pick up his stuff. He spent months working on the code. He would sleep at the office. Eventually, he finished it. It was a P2P, or a peer-to-peer, file-sharing service. Deep in the wilds of New England. Oh, I, I, I feel it coming on again. We're going, we're going into a musical sequence. Deep in the wilds of New England 
Wish some way to connect with you would come Haunted by the specter of a simple code There's a need for what I'm building Can't you see the world is waiting They won't allow the snow blind time to be over. The fate of the world is in these lines, a map engraved of greater times. It'll be worth it in the end, at least I hope so. If I can get out alive, is this toll Justify. It seems so simple at the start But now I don't know the strength of my heart I lock myself inside this room It feels just like a final tomb Life was simple Now I'm a symbol the question rings inside my ear Can I hold out against my fear? I'm slowly inching towards self-doubt When it's not fun, can I hold out? Reward is promised to us all But will my mode unblock fate's call? I've never felt so Me dialing up and you're not here right now. I just wish connection came easier somehow. Haunted by the ghost of. Wow, this is crazy. You guys are really channeling the script. This is like, it's not just a History of Napster episode, it's like a musical history of Napster. Stares into camera, unblinkingly, breaking the fourth wall, right now before a commercial break. Hello. Are you a fan of the motion pictures and comedic stylings of one 
Eddie Murphy, do you have powers and abilities far beyond those of most normal human beings? Are you an escaped subject from the government's top secret MK Ultra program? Then boy, have I got a deal for you. I run a theater here in your local city. We will be showing the motion picture Norbit, which is very real and you will be able to come to this free screening because of your time in the government's top secret MK Ultra program. You are highly encouraged to attend this free screening for the enjoyment of you, a person who enjoys the motion pictures and comedic stylings of Eddie Murphy. Please come. This is not a trap set by the government. I am a real theater owner and not a CIA operative. So if you are interested in seeing this free screening of the motion picture Norbit, which again is real and was made, please come to an abandoned warehouse in the garment district. Also, if you have any children who may have inherited your abilities, please bring them as well. This is very important. Again, this is not a trap set by the government to recapture escaped MK Ultra subjects. That is ridiculous. This is just a free screening of the motion picture Norbit, which was made and is very real. Thank you for your time. I hope to see you soon. Act 2. So much time and effort went into this shit. The first version of Napster didn't work. Fanning, who went by the screen name Napster Online, consulted an IRC chat for help. He crowdsourced bug fixes, but wouldn't show anyone the full source code. All the hackers actually found this fun. They thought piecing together the puzzle without the full picture was a great challenge. During these IRC chat sessions, Fanning met Sean Parker. Sean Parker, as a teenager, ran a BBS called Realm of Darkness. He wasn't a skilled programmer like Fanning, but he was obsessed with the intersection of technology and business and wanted to start a tech company. He even had connections for financing. He saw Fanning's program as a golden opportunity to get it on the ground floor of something big. When they decided to go into business together, Parker set up meetings with investors. Fanning flew to meet him, and Parker's dad drove them to their first investor meeting. Uh, this feels kind of weird without the interjections and conversations with Andrew and Dave. Let's liven this up. Dave, what do you think about this Sean Parker guy? Bacon. And <laughs> Oh, that was a bad idea. Very bad idea. Crying makes me very uncomfortable and kind of horny. Anyway, May 1999, the program now called Napster, after Fanning's online screen name, was released onto the internet for free. Huh, sounds like another idea stolen via time machine. It connected to a series of servers, and you could search song files by names. The server would facilitate the connection to download the music, but the music was not on the server. It facilitated you connecting directly to the hard drive of the person who had the music file. Napster was the first of the massively popular P2P file distribution systems, although it was not fully peer-to-peer. -peer. Since it used central servers in order to maintain lists of connected systems and the files they provided, while actual transactions were conducted directly between client machines. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Hillsborough's pirate music site is full P2P, baby. I don't even know what a fucking server is. Actually, there were already networks that facilitated the distribution of files across the internet, such as IRC, Hotline, and Usenet, and Hillsborough's pirate music site. But Napster specialized exclusively in music in the form of MP3 files and presented a user-friendly interface. The system didn't just have a bunch of free music. It had a bunch of alternate versions, bootlegs, etc. of songs that weren't commercially available at all. They created a Napster IRC and the program spread by word of mouth across the internet through that. 
goes down smooth. Executives at record labels started noticing Napster. It started gaining low-key attention, and they started freaking out about the numbers they were seeing. There had always been music piracy, but this was staggering and concerning. They immediately started getting together in meetings and discussing Napster and what it might mean for them. ZDNet published an article about it, which made it even bigger. It kicked off the period of insanity. Parker and Fanning moved out to San Mateo in Northern California, hired some people, and turned Napster into a real company. They hired a lot of programmers and hackers from the Napster IRC that helped Fanning initially fix all the issues and bugs with the early version of Napster, such as Jordan Ritter, who ended up becoming Chief Server Architect, Ali Adar, who became Senior Director of Technology, Aaron Guadamuse, who was Matt QA Engineer, Brandon Barber, who was Director of Production Management, and Chris Fenner, Director of Business Development. Those are some nerdy fucking names, that's all I gotta say. You never hear someone named Jack Stronggood doing a bunch of weird nerdy programming bullshit. At this point, they had 30 to 40,000 registered users. They needed the servers to scale. At this point, it wasn't a question of whether or not Napster was gonna take off. It was whether they could keep up with the growth and actually pull off serving this massive growing user base. They huddled together in their apartment in San Mateo every night, pulling all-nighters, fixing code issues, and problem-solving ways to adapt the software to the growth. It was a few solid months of uncertainty over whether they'd be able to keep the software up and operational as thousands and thousands of new users were uploading and downloading tons of MP3s. They figured out how to index more than a million files per server, which literally nothing else on the internet was capable of doing at the time. As they started figuring out how to conquer these issues, the long nights of racking their brains became celebrations of success. They figured it out. They reached 20 million users. They received more press coverage. They were starting to become celebrities. A bunch of inexperienced kids who didn't really even know anything about the industry they were playing around with were on the verge of completely revolutionizing it and changing it forever. I... I quit my job. What, Dave? What? You quit your job? What the fuck, Dave? Who's gonna pay rent at this slop house? Oh, oh, it's the song. Oh, oh okay, yeah, sorry, carry on. up all my clothes away from the gaze of a simple code bags in the truck and i hit, hit, hit the road gotta go to san mateo Place to retire. Say. 
idea that it was impossible. It was never going to happen. They took millions of dollars in venture funding to build a company based on copyright infringement. 
Parker believed that they were operating in a legal gray area where they were technically taking advantage of a loophole written into the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA, which was an amendment to the Copyright Act built specifically for digital copyright that protected online indexes from being held legally liable for things that showed up inside of them. Napster wasn't actually storing any of these files on any company-owned servers. It was just facilitating individual users sharing these files with each other from their own hard drives. September 1999. The company started talking to labels and trying to figure out a way to cooperate with each other, but the labels were not receptive. They felt that Napster was not actually interested in working out licensing deals and were just stringing them along, so the RIAA, the Record Industry Association, filed a lawsuit against Napster. Oh snap. They were suing them for tributary and vicarious infringement, that they should be held liable for the downloading because they knew it was happening. Napster's response was that they couldn't stop progress which is what I say every time Dave gets on me about not flushing the toilet, and that this was going to happen whether they did it or not. They were just a catalyst in the inevitable. Brick. Wall. You see uh... Ooh. I can tell this is going to be a spicy one. I've heard for better advice. You've said this twice. I it's hard to believe success is ours to grab now We'll take what others have now We're here, there's work to be done
Then the controversy started. Universities started banning Napster from being used on their campuses. They claimed it was done because it put an enormous strain on their campus internet. At this point, the controversy over Napster was boiling over into mainstream pop culture, and Napster started doing damage control, appearing in news interviews, talking about how they care more about artists and want them to benefit from Napster and for the company to work out partnerships with the record industry. Napster started having vocal critics, but it also had supporters, such as Chuck D from Public Enemy, who actually thought Napster was great for music and regarded it as the new radio. He felt like the record industry was trying to demonize it because it was scared that Napster's direct file sharing technology would one day lead to artists being able to directly share their music with fans and cut out the middleman of the label, which is basically exactly what did happen. Also, Chuck D is a Hillsworth Pirate Radio Station listener. He calls in all the time. It's actually kind of annoying. Trent Reznor, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Eminem. This isn't just a list of space hell venereal diseases. They were musicians that hated it and were outspoken about it being theft. Chris Cornell, Wyclef Jean, David Bowie, Seal, Billy Corgan, and Limp Bizkit, which is the name of a space hell venereal disease, thought it was a great way of separating art and commerciality. The Spice Girls didn't know enough about it to have an opinion. There actually were success stories of bands becoming popular because of Napster. A band called Dispatch started putting their own music on Napster for people to download for free, and it actually led to them gaining a sizable following and getting signed to a label. No radio, no press, no label, just Napster. Napster became the most talked about company in the country. They were getting popular, going to big cocktail parties with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Warren Buffett, and the founders of Google. People were talking about how cool their company was. On the outside, they were basking in the new fame, but behind the scenes, they were stressing out over the growing legal issues that were piling up. The RIAA wanted Napster completely shut down. The record industry felt completely blindsided. It felt like an ambush. They needed to stamp it out. The industry was divided. Some artists and record executives hated Napster and wanted it gone. Some artists and more progressive, largely outside of the US record industry professionals, thought it was the future and that we had to adapt to it. Everything good, blow up in my face. I think maybe I should move out of this place. Man, I thought we could connect, not make you upset. I never learned my lesson. I look around the circle and it's just me in the session. I never thought my love of music would make me the villain. Now they telling me I'm stealing while their pockets overflowing. And I can't pull the plug because this whole thing's growing. Yeah, it's been a whole day and I'm still here flowing. I don't take breaks for Pete's sakes. I'm a world record breaker. Please get off my case. I laid waste to the competition with my proposition. Since I came into the game, shit just hasn't been the same. I could do it all again. All I really need is my brain. See, I did it for the people. Was in it for the fame You can't drown me with the hate cause it's all love I can find my own way in this packed club Act tough but inside I wanna die You should buckle up baby it's about to be a ride How do we get this far? Why do things fall apart? I should've listened to a gong go Now I got the whole crowd wondering where my tune goes And maybe I deserve it I hurt but it wasn't on purpose I know you've heard the song before but I'm ready to Standing at your door like How do we get this far? Why do things fall apart? I should've listened to a gong go Now I got the whole crowd wondering where my tune goes and Maybe I deserve it I hurt but it wasn't 
God is everything good Blow up in my face I think maybe I should Move out of this place Why does everything good Blow up in my face I think maybe I should Move out of this place Why does everything good Blow up in my face I think maybe I should Huh, your voice sounded completely different then. Almost like a completely different person. May 2000. Napster was a huge cultural phenomenon, but steeped in legal trouble almost from the very beginning. The graph of Napster's spike in popularity was almost identical to the graph of its growing controversy. Everyone in the US was just beginning their love affair and obsession with downloading and sharing any music they wanted for free, but it was also being talked about on the news, MTV, etc. as this growing threat to the music industry. And then enter Sandman, and also Metallica and Lars Ulrich. You know, sometimes I get really sick of hearing all these ads. It's like, I've already bought all the stuff. It's over. I've done it. Alexander wept. Hmm. Actually, you know what I could do? I could use the interdimensional frequency switcher on my broadcast console to check out ads from other universes. Well, let's see what they're selling us in alternate versions of our world. Make sure to check out Creep Guts, the podcast where Andrew and Dave eviscerate a peeping Tom each and every episode. What the? Make sure to check out Sleep Butts, the podcast where Andrew and Dave sit around for way too long and then try to walk it off. Not that universe. Make sure to check out Sheep Nuts, the show where Andrew and Dave try to see to the health of your herd's genitals. This week they talk to livestock urologist Cliff Clifferson. Forget those coordinates. Sure to check out Eep Uts, the show where Ave Aker and Andrew Rice try to escape the horrible hell that I've trapped them in. Well, I guess our reality really is the best they have to offer. Dear God. Act 3 a vaguely European accent that you can't quite place and find equal parts annoying and mesmerizing. They, or specifically Lars, became vocal critics of Napster after discovering that an unreleased early mix of their song I Disappear had somehow made its way onto Napster for public consumption despite never being released or making its way out of the recording studio. Going on interview shows and talking about how the software was theft, they delivered a huge list of 2,600,000 ,000 usernames of people who had illegally uploaded the unreleased mix of I Disappear and demanded those users be banned. They literally printed the names on paper and delivered them to the Napster offices. Napster complied, but banning even hundreds of thousands of users for uploading a song was like throwing a cup of lukewarm water on a forest fire. When Lars showed up at Napster, there was a huge media storm, tons of reporters and news vans. Lars held a press conference outside. The Napster employees were urged to hide inside the office and not come out, but Fanning and Parker decided they'd sneak out the back door of the office, go across the street, and watch the spectacle. Lars hand-delivered the list of names to the other guys at the office. Upon meeting them, Ulrich was blown away by the Napster guys. He expected some skeezy hacker villains, but what he met were a bunch of baby-faced college kids, the types of people who would literally be his fans. 
He reflected afterwards to a reporter that he found the entire exchange to be very cordial and thought it had gone a lot better than he had expected. Funny enough, despite the fact that Ulrich was just arguing that his music and livelihood shouldn't be put on the internet for free, it wasn't Napster who received negative publicity from this stunt, but rather Ulrich and Metallica that received a major backlash. They were mocked and regarded as lame sellouts by tons of young music fans who thought it was very un-rockstar-like behavior of them to whine about a cool new music sharing app. They thought that metal was supposed to be anti-establishment and rebellious and sticking it to the man, and they thought it was ironic that they were acting as the man in this situation. Arden values. Arden values. What are you saying, Andrew? Farts and Calhouns? The fuck does that mean? Oh, this song is going to be interesting. Farts and Calhouns. Can't even imagine what that's about. They'll close down all the stores. And they'll take down all the signs. But they can't tell you what is right they knock down all the walls and they destroyed all the barriers between you and me but they can't tell you what is free
certain values. I literally just realized at the end of the song. And then Napster went to trial in the U.S. Senate. Napster, Ulrich, and other artists and record industry executives testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Artists and record labels argued Napster was theft. Napster argued that it was actually helping the record industry and talked about studies showing that Napster users bought more music than non-Napster users and simply used the platform to sample music before purchasing. There were even artists who testified in Napster's favor, like Steve McGinn of The Birds that argued that, despite recording several hit records throughout the 60s and 70s, he never actually saw any money from any of it, but that with the advent of MP3 technology, he was able to put up music and make 50% of the revenue from sales. Hank Berry, the CEO of Napster, who was also a lawyer, represented Napster. Gene Kahn, the chief programmer from Nutella, also testified in favor of Napster. He argued that old world tactics and music and file sharing in general were dead, and that the industry needed to adapt to Napster instead of fight it. Surprisingly, the Senate was very sympathetic towards Napster, and Fanning and Parker felt like they actually understood the technology and the nuances behind its existence, and Napster's positioning as a company, and their role in helping to distribute the files, despite initially thinking that they were going to have to be explaining every little detail of how the technology worked to a bunch of old dinosaurs. At this point, they had narrowly dodged a bullet of being unceremoniously shut down by the government, at least temporarily but they were still steeped in legal trouble, lawsuits, etc. And because of this, they couldn't update the app. Napster still existed in its early version 1.0, and Napster team's hands were too tied dealing with these lawsuits to be able to update it despite their audience continuing to grow. So even as the user base was skyrocketing every day, they couldn't grow the app to meet the audience growth. No new features, no bug fixes, just the same stagnant product. This was very frustrating to the team, particularly Fanning, who, Ultimately, at the end of the day, genuinely just had a passion for creating this tool, for helping people share with each other and connect socially over the internet. The company had been taken over by their lawyers and quote-unquote adult upper management to help try and steer it from a legal perspective while dealing with the lawsuits. They moved from their hip startup office with basketball hoops and desks literally made of repurposed doors in a big open floor plan industrial feeling bullpen to a very corporate office full of cubicles, with upper management being placed a floor above the main team as opposed to the same level as had been previously the case. The core founding Napster team knew this was bad news, and that things were only getting worse from here. They hated this new setup. Fanning withdrew. He buried his head in working on development of Napster and largely ignored the looming threats, the lawsuits, and the major hit to team morale. Parker had to continue being the face and figurehead of the company. Parker and Fanning had gone from kids fresh out of high school to nearly bringing the record industry to its knees in 12 months, but also, Napster had gone from an idea in Fanning's head to a huge cultural phenomenon to possibly dead in the water in 12 months as well.
Weird. You guys just, you guys must be descending into madness so hard you just sound like other people. Real weird. The RIAA issues an injunction against Napster. A trial is set to determine the future of the company. They are moving to shut down Napster. A hearing happened. Almost immediately, the Napster team realized that the judge didn't seem to be on their side. This wasn't like the Senate hearing. It didn't seem good at all. They got a huge rock star lawyer, David Boys, and thought they had it in the bag. But ultimately, boys didn't understand the technology and completely bungled the case. And then some memos from the early days of Napster leaked to the press in which Parker acknowledged that the company was well aware that their users were pirating music and that they should design features into the app to protect the user's anonymity. And remember, the entire legal gray area that Napster was firmly in hinged on the fact that they could have plausible deniability that they weren't aware of any pirating going on in their software. But here they were, openly acknowledging it and also discussing ways to essentially aid and abet the pirating. The memo that Parker sent said, Users will understand that they are improving their experience by providing information about their tastes without linking the information to a name or address or other sensitive data that might endanger them, especially since they are exchanging pirated music. They had broken the kayfabe. The email changed the whole game. The memo is blown up and projected in the courtroom. 
Parker was fired from Napster, a hostile takeover by the corporate managers. Parker asked Fanning for help to preserve his position at the company, but after talking through it with Fanning, he decided that it was good for Parker to be able to leave, and that he was lucky to get out of this whole thing scot-free. He wasn't going to help him. Fanning felt stuck in hell. You've broke the kayfabe now, the lawyers know. I said the kayfabe, and now you're interpreting it in song form. And now you're stuck in hell with all these corporate bros. I get partial songwriting credit for this one. Yesterday I can't remember It's been so long since last December The snow blind time cuts and dismembers All of the dreams that burn like embers You have to know that things are bad now I have no time to be a dad now You shouldn't have said that we pirate Now you're the problem and the fire is This used to be fun But now we're up against the wall of ones and oh This used to be fun But now you're free to live the life that we once chose Sir, won't you just spare me? I need work at this company this is all that I can be I have no future, can't you see? We thought we were so carefree We doomed ourselves to misery Things cannot just be shared free This is freedom, can't you see? used to be fun But you broke the kayfabe Now the lawyers know This used to be fun And now I'm stuck in hell With all these corporate bros Sir, won't you just spare me I need work at this company This is all that I can be I have no future, can't you see? What could our existence be? Our vision cut off at the knee Things cannot just be shared free This is freedom, can't you see? And when I run out of hope And when my back's at the rope I'll think of you and suppose No one ever knows me As much as you know me Sir, won't you just spare me? I need work at this company This is all that I can be I have no future, can't you see? We thought we were so carefree We doomed ourselves to misery Things cannot just be shared free This is freedom, can't you see? They lost the case. The judge ruled against them. It was a huge win for the record industry, or at least it seemed so at the time. The company's future was hanging in the balance, 
and their protracted legal battle was being blasted out on every news channel and blog site on the internet. However, Napster's lawyers got the judge to grant a temporary reprieve from the injunction. They wouldn't have to shut down until the case was seen in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The Ninth Circuit was way more sympathetic to Napster. Napster's entire case now pivoted to, quote, we intended for Napster to be this thing for sharing music legally with each other, but then it kind of got tainted by piracy, but ultimately in the future it will become a great legal tool for sharing music legitimately that is paving the way for the future of digital music distribution, so don't shut us down now before we've been able to realize our potential. And the judges were receptive. The Ninth Circuit refused to shut down Napster. Fanning was under a huge amount of stress. October 2000. Bartlesman Media Group invested $80 million into Napster to turn it into a music subscription service a paid model. Bertelsmann, and particularly their CEO, Thomas Middelhoff, thought that digital downloads of music on a subscription service was the future of music, and they wanted to use Napster to be at the forefront of this brave new world. But the team was exhausted. This wasn't fun anymore. They weren't developing a cool product to help their users share. They were just trying to survive. They were getting fed up. Winter of 2000. As part of the court case, Napster agreed to filter copyrighted music from searches. They had a row of computers full of temps dedicated to coming up with variations of keywords to filter. Fanning knew this was the beginning of the end. Napster had become a cultural punchline. Jokes about the company were in every late night talk show. A popular series of flash cartoons making fun of Lars Ulrich came out and spread around a pre-YouTube internet. Ulrich went on to the MTV Music Awards and did a sketch with host Marlon Wayans, where he appears inside of a college dorm room and attacks a student illegally downloading Metallica music on Napster. February of 2001. In the next trial, the court sides with the RIAA and it orders Napster to remove millions of copyrighted songs from their indexes or shut down. Tons of the core Napster team started leaving the company. They were done. Fanning became detached. He would just sit and strum his guitar in a zombie-like state. Fanning was doing a lot of press and trying to pretend like Napster was going to rise from the ashes, but behind the facade, he was completely dead inside. And these things were so rare I sunk in into the veil of my hair Used to be fun, now it feels so alone We clasped our hands and jumped into unknown I will wait for you in a pasture of white When all of my demons turn in for the night
Napster had a slow decline. Loans here, potential deals and partnerships there, but its shutdown was inevitable. They tried to shut down the file sharing functionality of the app, but they discovered that there were several independent servers on the platform operating independently of the company, and so the file sharing kept going. June of 2002, Napster files for bankruptcy. They raised $100 million in the life of the company, but didn't know where it went at the end of the day. Even after filing for bankruptcy, the massive amount of debt and settlements the company was in continued on. They had to pay $1 million to Dr. Dre, another million to Metallica. Ultimately, the company raised about $100 million but lost over $500 million. But the death of Napster merely galvanized the community of users, hackers, and programmers on the internet who wanted to share files. In Napster's place, tons of other programs for downloading music for free popped up. Napster was only the beginning of the inevitable revolution that everyone warned that Napster was the harbinger of. Kazaa, Nutella, Morpheus, LimeWire, Grokster, Hillsborough's pirate music site, all legendary destinations at equal standing and equal cultural relevance. Some would say perhaps one of them at a higher level of relevance than the others. The cat wasn't going back in the bag. The cat that I will never eat because please don't sue us, Alf creator. Over the next several years, the RIAA and record labels tried to get a handle on the rampant piracy that cropped up in the wake of Napster. They eventually started trying to actually sue and prosecute people caught pirating. None of these things worked. The piracy just continued on. They sued 18,000 people and created a lot of bad press. They were suing their customers, which only served to turn them into bigger villains than they were already perceived as. Despite their efforts, sales in the music industry tanked. They were cut in half from the late 90s to the early 2000s. It wasn't really even until the last 10 years when the record industry finally figured out how to combat piracy and adapt to the technology. Streaming, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Giving people music for free but with ads so they could get paid. The artists don't really get paid though. It's still total bullshit for the artists. Lars Ulrich has since tried to claim that his criticism of and public battle with Napster was never about the money but rather about Napster cutting in on their turf. He's tried to rebrand the whole ordeal as Metallica calling out Napster for some kind of gritty street fight with two warring gangs battling for control of a neighborhood instead of as aging businessmen getting litigious over lost revenue. It hasn't really worked, but culture has evolved around him to kind of wind up on his side. Whereas people thought he was lame for crying about money and rights to his music back in the 90s, it's now considered punk rock to stand up for artists getting paid and being a champion for artists' rights. Napster was rebranded to become the European face of Rhapsody's music subscription service and still exists to this day. All the Napster founders got hired out of big tech companies. Fanning founded a company called Snowcap that was an independent copyright database that helped creators manage the rights to their work, almost as some kind of penance for the Pandora's box pun intended, that he opened with Napster. The company didn't take off. 
It was supplanted by iTunes, which essentially became the central hub for all sales of digital music for a while, before streaming created a host of competitors that decentralized the industry in the 2010s. He started a gaming company called Rupture after that and sold it to EA for $30 million. Parker struggled for a long time, unable to find work and was in a massive amount of legal debt. Until he became an early consultant for Facebook, got in on the ground floor, was portrayed by Justin Timberlake in the David Fincher film Social Network, and made an absurd amount of money. He eventually went on to invest in and work as a consultant for Spotify, which he thinks is the ultimate realization of what Napster was supposed to be. In 2013, Fanning and Parker reunited to form another company together called Airtime.
Price. Yeah, fuck yeah, we did it. You're both back. It's my Davy and my Papa Pricey. Oh, oh man, you can. Oh man, uh, oh, I feel like I've been singing for like two hours. Why my voice so sore? You, you can find me online at um, heydavebaker.com. Andrew, um, oh god, I feel so woozy. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me in my therapist's office unpacking decades of emotional trauma that I still haven't fully processed. And you can also find me at dapricewrites.com where you can get my book, Deadbolt, AI Private Eye. Man, I know I present a tough and uncaring facade, but I was really nervous about you guys. I'm glad you're back to being normal. Yeah, the, the trauma of bacon and legs. Miami Nights. Caused both of us to go into some horrible trance-like state. I know. I had to host this dumb musical episode for your stupid podcast to get you guys out of it. Don't ever say I didn't do anything for you. I don't know what's worse, watching you both sing or having to host this shitty thing. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm really thankful, man. Thanks, thanks a lot, Hilsmer. It, it means a lot that you came through for us. Jesus fucking Christ. What was that? That sounded like a bomb, dude. It sounded like someone just crashed a really well-designed spaceship into the side of the mystery treehouse. Really? That sounded like an explosion to me. No, trust me. I have a really good sense of hearing? Let's go out into the living room and see. Holy shit, who the fuck are all you guys? There's like a fucking team of asshole villain peoples in our living room. Oh fuck, Quam? Yes, Hillsmer, it's, it's me. It's Quam. Yeah, your old four-armed, four-eyed, four-eye-patched nemesis. Back from the dead. 
resurrected in order to lead this satanic army to defeat our ultimate enemies, the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency. Jenny Frianka? Hello, Andrew. It's been a while. Dave! <clears throat> Dave. Uh, I don't remember you having a cyborg arm the last time we met. Since you broke my heart, life's gotten a little weird. I don't go by the name Jenny anymore. I have a new code name. They call me Destructo Von Torturstein. Yeah, that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue now, does it? It only really sounds good when it's screamed while your intestines are being pulled out of your body. Oh, uh, okay. And who the fuck are you? Galactic Boy 00000000001. Enemy Unit Andrew. I made a deal with a shadowy benefactor in order to save my home dimension, sacrificing my freedom to save theirs. <sighs> Don't tell me. This shadowy benefactor is Charles Wexler Weller, right? Man, this guy is really starting to get on my nerves. He sent the Squampanomicon after us to try to get us sucked into a hell dimension? He's always sending us weird packages? I got a paper cut the other day and I just feel like he had something to do with it? And now he has this team of weird bounty hunter guys here to kill us? Fuck, man. This sucks. I'm just gonna say it. I, I'm, I usually keep a positive outlook on things, but fuck this. To say nothing of the fact that they've flown a fucking spaceship into the side of the mystery treehouse. Well, to be honest, guys, uh, we're actually pretty late. The original plan was that old CWW had was that we would uh, we would use the bacon and legs record to like stun you guys into like incapacitation or whatever, and then fly in here, kill you, and kidnap Hillsmer in order to collect the bounty on him and space hell and all that stuff. But you know. That didn't happen. Uh, traffic was a bitch. Well, the best laid plans of mice and men and all that. Who's that walking out of the shadowy smoke-filled depths of the spaceship? I... I can't make him out. A dude in a business suit? Is it Brian Ferry? You don't know my voice, but I know all of yours. So... Because, you see, you've been a thorn in my side for years now. Cursed me with an obsidian mission. Ordained me with a simple, clean purpose that can only be summarized by a solitary, lonely word. Revenge! What? Uh, wait, what? I'm... Wait, I'm lost. Who is this guy? I am here to accomplish what I set in motion all those episodes ago. The death of Andrew! <laughs> The fact that you're unable to witness the dawning of your own oblivion is both strangely endearing and mildly annoying. Wait a minute, so you have a badass cyborg-armed chick, like, obsessed with you, and I just got this guy wanting to kill specifically me? Like, what the fuck? What did I do? I- I- what- what is- what is happening? I feel like I'm a good person. He's leaning into the light. I can almost make out his face. We already found out his identity like 30 seconds ago, Hillsmer. I think you need glasses. My friends, my name is Charles Wexler Weller. Oh, oh fuck. fuck! Attack! Oh, Jesus. They have guns and laser cannons. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is that a rocket launcher? I hate this Galactic Boy guy. He's like a flying around, burning everything with flamethrower arms. I just... Uh, Things are just continuing to not be positive for me. I'm really hating all of this. I hate you, Dave. I hate you. Everyone else is getting paid to be here, and I'm doing this for free, you little shit. 
Jenny, what could I have? What, what, have, you, what have you done to yourself? Why, why do you have a cyborg arm and why are you calling yourself Destructo von Torturstein? This is awful. After you broke up with me in that Dairy Queen parking lot, I've dedicated myself to making you pay. All of this is because of you. What are you talking about? The breakup was mutual. Anyone who has ever said that is fucking lying. It wasn't mutual. You're a dickhead, you tiny little mini-me motherfucker. Andrew, help! She's pinning me to the ground. She's gonna stab me with this horrible-looking syringe thing coming from her super cool cyborg arm. What hurts worse, that or the body shaming? You know what's gonna hurt is when I'm fucking dead. Help me! Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry, I've got into the semantics. I'm coming, Davy boy. Not if I have anything to say about it. Enemy unit Andrew. Bro, what the fuck? What kind of deal is worth destroying all of my books? That laser just destroyed a lifetime of collecting useless shit. My gremlin book read-along record set was in there. That shit is impossible to replace. I found it at some garage sale that disappeared when I looked back at it. I'm only doing this to protect my home dimension. Enemy unit Andrew. My friends, my family, my dimension are what are important to me, not your pathetic collectibles. You're being a real dick, man. <laughs> this is everything I could have dreamed it would be. The orchestrated chaos rippling out before me. A virtual cornucopia of destruction laid on a bed of sadness, an infantilized development, an overall composed of master strokes. This truly is the masteriest uh, stroke. Whatever! I'm a fucking genius! All of those years learning super science, going back to school, traveling the world, studying in subterranean Tibet. It's so worth it for this moment. Alright, Quam. Round two, let's go, motherfucker. Hillsmer, you might have mercilessly murdered me once, but not this time. Now, I'm powered by a necrotic serum given to me by Charles Wexler Weller. Oh, Jesus! Did that little red muppet punch through Quam's head? Get away from my Davy boy! And I'll take this cyborg arm, please. Oh, fuck! That's my goddamn arm! Not anymore, it's not. Andrew, what? Wait, 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 Dave, I have to stop you before you say this. I disarmed you. God damn it, Andrew. Okay, you can keep God. you can keep freaking out now, Dave. Andrew, what the fuck are you doing? I'm reprogramming the cyborg arm to make it a giant remote control. What? No, you can't do that! Also, Jesus! Hillsborough, just stop punching Quam already! He's fucking dead! Again! <sighs> yeah, yeah, you're... you're probably right. He's... he's dead. Like... fully dead this time. He's... he's just basically sauce. I'm just playing in the pulp at this point. But that's my arm! My arm! I'm bleeding out of my arm! I'm fucking... Jenny, Jenny, it's okay, it's okay. Calm down. Uh, should I, uh, should I, uh, should I call the ambulance? Should I call, should I call, like, a flying ambulance that'll, like, fly here and help you? I'll kill you. Uh, wow, uh, that feels really wrong. I'm really sorry, Jenny, uh, or Destructo Von, uh, Mrs. Von Torturstein? Cannot resist commands from weird cyborg arm reprogrammed as remote control by Andrew. Cannot stop. Cannot stop. Cannot stop. Zero! I command you to stop! Don't point those flamethrower arms at me, dammit! Andrew, stop this! Give us one good reason we shouldn't end this right now. Oh, 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 oh. oh my back! Oh my god! Andrew, did you just slip in a pile of Quam's intestines? 
Oh god, there's blood everywhere! I can't tell what's yours and what's his and what's Jenny's. Uh, you know. God, this is awful! <laughs> you dumb bitches! I'm gonna... No! All I have to say is, a bad devoted eye facial... Oh, fuck my dark gun! Oh, fuck, fuck, shit! I just shot myself in the face with my own dark gun! Oh, fuck! Oh, all these years of playing this gaming! Uh, they ended with me riding a war in pain! And it my... Fuck! Oh, I got a book deal! What? What book deal? What are you talking about? <sighs> you complete pieces of shit. You've ruined my life. I was a struggling novelist. I had a book deal for a series of detective novels called The Mystery Treehouse. But then you bozos had to go and name your stupid business the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency and you became so famous for solving crimes and also hosting hilarious and informative deep dive podcasts in your free time, it completely put the kibosh on my fucking book deal! So... Then you spent the next few years roaming the Earth, becoming a super scientist, evil businessman guy with a shadowy cabal of villains? You should have just gone to Simon & Schuster or something, like... This seems a little extreme. But you know what my favorite invention I've created over my time as a mad scientist, hellbent on the purest revenge, opium of the soul? Jenny's super cool cyborg arm that has like weird metal slats in it, kind of like the, you know, cable arm from the 90s. I think I'm dying. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, you're already dead. It's, it's fine, it's fine. Oh God, this is hell. You're here. Hey, I meant like you're dead on the inside. Like you're you're gonna be fine. The medics and cops and all that stuff are totally gonna come. Like they're probably flying here right now. No, no, not at all. These loafers. Oh, you're a loaf man too. Those are pretty badass. Rocket loafers. I got to get me some of those rocket loafers. But also, if he's not careful, he's gonna. Oh god. Oh god. He's gonna. Oh. Oh god. Oh god. That building is not gonna move. Fuck. Oh, fuck. I'm stuffed. Oh, what are you guys watching? Is that why you've been gone for the last five minutes? You were eating qualm? What? In space hell, forearm dudes are a delicacy. I feel like that uh, ambulance and cops will be here, like, any moment. What do we, uh, what do we do with this, like, robot guy? I mean, I could let him go from this bootleg remote control thing, or I could have him self-destruct. That sounds fun. I would like to live. I need to protect my home dimension. Now that Master Unit Charles Wexler Weller is no longer here, I am free to do whatever I must to prevent anyone from returning to my home dimension. Oh, so you're not like a bloodthirsty maniac? Like the rest of these yahoos? N not quite, new friend Unit Dave. Well, uh, I bet we could find some chores for you to do around the Mystery Treehouse. If you want, you know, I don't know. I mean, this wall could probably be re repaired. Does that sound like something that you'd be interested in, Galactic Boy? Mm, please, mm, call me Zero. Uh, no, really. I think I'm dying. I need help. I'll put some. Uh, I'll put some more pressure on that wound. It, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You, you know, it's so funny. We were just watching that episode with us on Bacon and Legs. Miami Nights. I prefer not to talk about any of that. 
Anyone want some more qualm? He's still warm. Freeze frame on everyone starting to laugh. Well, it looks like Andrew and Dave got themselves out of yet another jam. I wonder what they'll be up to next. Why, I have to imagine they'll find some obscure topic, walk you through the ins, the outs, and why even the nitty-gritty, so that you can look like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. As for me, I am but a humble narrator, and I hope I get to speak to you again, and that you all have happy holidays. This has been a production of Boy Genius Media. If you want to find this show and others like it, visit deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussion, join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also, like the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook page, as well as Hillsmer's Facebook page, and follow us on Instagram at deepcutspod. The Rise and Fall of Napster was written by Andrew and Dave. All the songs in this production were written, produced, and performed by the Dead Boy Detectives, with drums performed by Jake Noggle, and sound mixing by Santiago Morillo Segovia. Except, Always Be Alright, which has additional vocal performance by Jaden Byer and Ephraim Price. A Simple Code, which was written, performed, and produced by Jeremy Arambulo, with lyrics written by Andrew Price and Dave Baker, and performed by Dave Baker. You can check out Jeremy's cartoonist work at jeremyarambulo.com, A-R-A-M-B-U-L-O, and his music project, Fluorescent Beige, at fluorescentbeige.bandcamp.com. Everything Good Blows Up, which was written and performed by Good Bison. Good Bison has a new EP coming out at the end of January called Scattered Storms. The first single from the EP, Can't Predict the Weather, is already out everywhere you stream music. The next single will be out the first week of January 2021. You can check out more of Good Bison's music at goodbisonmusic.com or by following them on Instagram at goodbison. And Drowning in the Middle of the Universe, which was written and performed by Marvelous Persona. You can check out their album, In the Blood, anywhere you stream music. The incidental music used in this production was created by D. Catalano. You can check him out anywhere you stream music as well. These people are being credited for no particular reason. Mike Bedard, Mike Miller, Kelly Bohart, and Wes Robertson. Special thanks to Jaden Byer for allowing her home to become a recording studio for the entire month of December without completely losing her mind. And to Ephraim and Alistair Price, who inspired all these songs. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars In other words, hold my hand In other words, darling, kiss me Fill my heart with song let me sing forevermore You are all I wish for All I worship and adore In other words, please be true In other words, I love
heart with song Let me sing forevermore You are all I long for All I worship and adore In other words Please be true In other words I love you In other words I love you Oh no, Dave! You're still under the satanic spell! It's okay, Hillsmer. I was actually doing it on purpose this time. This whole thing made me realize that I kind of like singing more than I thought I did. Oh, well, you better knock it off. This isn't going to become some musical thing all the time. I hate musicals. But wait, this doesn't explain the whole death of Andrew thing. I mean, this specific situation doesn't seem to be exclusively about me. So is there something else that's going to happen? Oh, God. And what did he mean by bad, devoted eye fisher? I don't know. Best not to think about it. But also, I don't really care because it doesn't affect me at all. So, eh. Yeah.